Our scripture reading this morning is Mark 8, 27 through 38, and it's page 714 in your pew Bible. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have seven-year emphasis. Two years ago, it was about missions. It was about the whole, mumble it with me, the whole church. No, you know what? Do it like you're at a football game. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Last year it was about community, real people, real, real people, real life, real love. Okay, I'll spare you the rest. First year on missions, well, that's in our DNA. We do that pretty well, so that came pretty easily. The next year, community. We do community here really well, too. I I heard from two different people this week about, man, I hear you all have such a good family feel there at Brookwood, and I, I would tend to agree with that. Some have suggested that this year will be a little more challenging, a little more difficult. But, but I really would say it does not have to be. It's really more about this year, I would say, discipleship. More specifically, being self-feeding disciples. Uh, by that we mean not depending just on Sunday in, in a more or less kind of cultural Christianity way where, well, I will get my spiritual nourishment on Sunday morning And that's all I need. Or maybe even Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. But that's all I need. No, there's more to it than that. That's too fragmented. What are you doing the other days? And are you at least taking a little bit more time, just a little bit more time, to spend personally with Jesus? Whether it be through Bible study. Whether it be, as Micah was saying, scripture memorization. Whether it be engaging in a more intense discipline under guidance like like fasting or, or meditation, which is really kind of different prayer, from prayer or a different form of prayer. And the list goes on and on. You know, what could you be doing more throughout the week? One thing we're doing, you might have seen in email or in e-news, one thing we're going to offer you that, that you can use at least at the beginning of the week is what we're calling GPS, which means getting prepped for Sunday. How many of y'all got that email or saw it in the e-news? Okay, very good. We're going to try at the beginning of the week to have some information about the upcoming sermon for the upcoming Sunday and and offer it up kind of as a devotional, uh, as something that you can look at and and pray about, contemplate. My goodness, if you think of some good material for me, (laughs) a sermon illustration, send them on. would love to see it. 
Um, but again, that's just a springboard for you for throughout the rest of the week to contemplate what we'll be talking about Sunday. But even more so, what else can you engage in where you can become a self-feeding disciple? And as we talked about that, the staff realized, you know, that really boils down to following our first love, which is our theme for this year, follow our first love. You might have seen in Revelation chapter 2, uh, one of the first churches that Jesus kind of indicts in a way. Uh, he says, you all are a good church. You are persevering through a lot of challenges. And he says, you are a hardworking church. That sounds like us. But he said, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first, does anybody know? Forsaken your first love. And that's really where we are wanting to go. And I, this church really does remind me of the church at Ephesus. If you read uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I mean, there's a good sense of community, of family there, of unity. And yet we must ask ourselves throughout this year, are we the kind of self-feeding disciples that show that we are really following our first love, who is Jesus Christ? I thought Micah really captured a lot of what I have to say in his grace along the journey. You know, are we, living by, are we really living by costly grace or more like the cheap grace? So easy for us in the buckle of the Bible belt to kind of have a uh, cultural Christianity whereby we kind of pass through our little culture comfortably in this image-conscious kind of area in which we find ourselves instead of really throwing it all back and saying, I'm going to live in an authentic way for the living Christ. So this year we really want to discover our first love or rediscover it and also to follow it. And the primary means we want to challenge you is to be self feeding disciples, getting beyond merely Sunday, but finding a reason to, to spend some time with Christ and focus on him all the more each and every day. And again, how vital is that for, again, younger generation, like wonderful people like Princess Gabby over here, I mean, to, to really, you know, invest ourselves and pour ourselves into the next generation in a loving and teaching way. And this month, we're going to break down each of these four words, follow our first love, to really unpack what we mean by that loaded statement. So today we talk about follow. How many of y'all had heard of the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that Micah had mentioned, The Cost of Discipleship? How many of y'all have at least heard of it? I'm not asking if you've read it. How many of you have heard of it? He's one of the great 20th century martyrs, uh, was put to death by the Gestapo in in Germany, and uh, an amazing, amazing man of God. I would encourage you to read, Micah, I think all you've got to do is read about the first four chapters of that book, and it will mess you up for the rest of your life. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. It'll mess you up and haunt you because he just says, if you're really going to follow this Christ and follow him to the cross, here's what it takes. And, and it's, a, it's a scary piece to read, and it's a marvelous piece to read. I, I strongly encourage you to read it. If you've never read it, think about being in Micah's group uh, that starts, I guess, a week uh, from this Wednesday, uh, his equipping group. I would strongly encourage you to do that. Bonhoeffer was just a, a giant, I think, and a martyr of the faith. The cost of discipleship is the English rendering of that German book. Bonhoeffer is German. Do you know what the, the original title was? Does anybody know? It's one word in German, Nachfolge. Nachfolge. Nach means to, Folge means follow, and it's one word. What he was saying is this is what it means to follow. What it means to follow Christ. So what about you? Are you following Jesus? Well, let me ask you this. Are you following him closely? Or most, more so like a lot of people at a distance? Because it's more comfortable that way. There's an ancient Jewish proverb that said, Follow a rabbi, drink in his words, and be covered with the dust of his feet. In Jesus' day, when you selected a rabbi to follow, 
that rabbi would lead you around. And if you, you did it right, you would follow him so closely that the dust that he kicked up with his sandals would get all over you. You would be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Well, how dirty and dusty are you based on your own walk with Jesus? Are you following the rabbi that closely? Has it settled around you and upon you? Or have you kept him really more at arm's length? More of a removed fashion. In Jesus' day, when you had a rabbi, you would follow that rabbi around. And that rabbi was your master. In fact, you were supposed to honor your rabbi more than you did your own father. And you followed that rabbi around in a way that you didn't just try to take in all, all the information that he was conveying. You tried to be just like him. So you would watch him closely, all of his actions, what he said, how he said it. And you did everything you could to emulate that rabbi. Well, how about you? Because if you're going to really follow this rabbi and get his dust all over you, you know where it leads. And this month we'll be joining Jesus and his disciples. If you study Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, you see that Jesus has dramatically turned his focus. He is way up north in the hinterlands of Israel, in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he has now turned, as the scriptures say, he is turning his face toward Jerusalem and making his last physical journey down to Jerusalem before he suffers and dies. In fact, we have a picture of it up here. And I want you to show you where Mark chapter 8 is. Mark chapter 8 is up here in Caesarea Philippi, the northern part. Mark chapter 9, we will see that they have traveled, probably with Jesus following ahead of them in that Socratic fashion or rabbinical fashion where he's walking ahead of them. They're in Caesarea Philippi, and then they get down to Capernaum here. And then you get to Mark chapter 10. They are somewhere right in here heading down to Jerusalem. And Jesus at least knowing what is soon going to happen when he gets there. So that's what we're going to follow. In a sense, we're going to see how closely are we following him. Are we following him, I hope, maybe a little closer than the disciples were at that point? Because they didn't really realize what they were getting into. But to you and I, <laughs> when we really consider what it takes to be a follower of Jesus... A confessing follower. Uh, one of my heroes is a guy named Clarence Jordan. Anybody ever heard of Clarence Jordan? Or have you heard of the cotton patch paraphrase of the New Testament? A wonderful paraphrase, like the message, but it's in a South Georgia fashion because Clarence was from South Georgia. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of Habitat for Humanity? Okay. A lot of you have heard of that. Clarence founded a farm in America's Georgia, where Micah is from, actually, called Koinonia, and it was back in the 1940s, and he founded that as a believing Christian saying, I believe that white people and minorities can live together in peace. And we're, so we're going to form this little village where we live together in peace, and we will be a light unto the rest of the state of Georgia, which struggled with racism at that time, of course, and the rest of the nation. Well, he did not uh, become a martyr, but he definitely was persecuted for his belief in this. And, and quite frequently, the area was firebombed. He was shunned by uh, the community there. He received death threats every week. I mean, he was really ahead of his time when it comes to civil rights and people just getting along and, and not determining how you perceive someone based on skin pigmentation. He was an amazing guy. Uh, on, a, on the side, he led Millard Fuller to Christ. Millard Fuller had been a millionaire. Uh, gone through a divorce, was, was just really low, was thinking about suicide, and Clarence Jordan led him to Christ. Millard Fuller uh, built up this new organization called what? Habitat for Humanity. So really, you've got to go back and credit Clarence Jordan and God working through him to bring, him to bring us the gift of Habitat for Humanity. Now, why am I talking about Clarence? 
One of my favorite stories about Clarence was when he, uh, he was a very good speaker, and he was invited to speak at this church, and this pastor, probably not realizing what a simple man Clarence was in terms of how he lived, he gave him a big tour of their new church building that they had spent millions on. And so they walked through the sanctuary with these beautiful oak-hewn pews and the, this beautiful stained glass and everything. And they walked out to the front, and the sun was setting, and there was a spotlight that was shining on this big silver cross, real gaudy. And the pastor pointed up and said, Dr. Jordan, we paid $10,000 for that cross alone. Clarence replied, well, you got cheated. There were times when Christians could get those for free. I like that. And they did. Because they followed. As, as Micah said, grace is costly because it costs to follow. And they did get those for free. And they died, suffered and died because of this decision that they made. Well, what about you? Because if we get real honest, we have an uneasy relationship with the cross, don't we? I mean, we, we admire the cross of Christ. We honor it. But it can really get in the way. Can't it? I mean, it demands so much. But to follow our first love is to follow him, yes, even to the cross. If not literally as martyrs, figuratively, yes, as we crucify our own wills, our own desires, our own agendas. And that's difficult. And it must have been frustrating, this sudden shift, because I think the disciples were on a high. Because you remember, you know, as, as in, it says in the scripture reading, they were walking along up in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says, you know, okay, who do people say that I am? Oh, some that say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am, disciples? Peter steps up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Hey, good answer, good answer. He got it right. And Jesus blesses him for that and then tells them don't tell anybody about that because nobody was going to understand at that point. But then Jesus launches right into something so mysterious that just brings the joy of that occasion right down. In the next breath, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, it's interesting to read that passage in the literal Greek because you have two adverbs that really point to the continuous action of this, but then the suddenness of it as well. A literal rendering of that verse is, He suddenly began to teach them repeatedly, that the Son of Man must suffer. Now, we know that he taught them this repeatedly. Go through Mark chapter 8, he tells them about it. Look at Mark chapter 9, he tells them about it when they get to Capernaum. Look at Mark chapter 10 when they're getting close to Jerusalem. He tells them about it in an even more graphic fashion. He's trying to drive home the point. So we know he tells them repeatedly, but I think all the more significant is the fact that he said this so suddenly. And it had to be, there had to be an instant shock to that group of people who heard him say that. And this is a radical departure. This is a new word, something that was introduced to the earth that no one had ever seen before. You go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was a monumental event. You go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that was a monumental shift towards something new. I would say that this was just as monumental. Suddenly, Jesus tells them that he is going to what? Suffer and die? What is this all about? They have no understanding, no comprehension. That had to be a jolt to the disciples. Whereupon Peter takes charge in good old Barney Fife fashion and takes Jesus aside and does what? Rebukes him. 
And the word for rebuke here, I mean, he really gets on Jesus in, in a very intense and authoritative manner. The only other time that this word rebuke is used, you know when it's used? It's when Jesus rebukes the demoniacs or the demons who are in people. And he did that with a great deal of intensity and authority. And now Peter is inflicting that on Jesus himself. Which is why you have the intense response from Jesus when he rebukes back. In fact, he says, what? Get behind me, what? Satan, Satan. Now, we've talked about that. Is he, call, is he calling Peter Satan? No. Many of you have heard me talk about this. In the Hebrew, Satan, or in the Greek, Diabolos, where you get the word Diablo, which means devil. What does the word mean? It means obstacle. In other words, you know, Satan, you're keeping Peter from seeing me as people should. In fact, it says what? You know, you're making him think more like a man instead of things about God. So again, that's why he says that. So he's upset, or at least he rebukes Peter, and then he launches into really the heart of where we're going here, verse 34. And I know you know this passage, but let me just read it again. Then he called to the crowd to him with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You really have two key commands here that are there. Two commands. First of all, deny yourself. Now, Jesus isn't talking. Any of y'all made any New Year's resolutions? Okay. <laughs> Not many. Okay. Grace abounds, you know. Golly. Wow. Well, if you were to have had a New Year's resolution, hypothetically, theoretically speaking. Man, y'all are sad. No, I didn't do any either. I didn't do any either. Okay. But let's say you had some resolutions. Or let's say I'm going to give up chocolate. Or let's say, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go out this evening and have fun. I'm going to study instead. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of self-denial. It's interesting. The word here for deny is used in only two contexts. One is here. When Jesus says you've got to deny yourself and follow me. You know where the other one is? It's when Peter denies Jesus. <laughs> Remember the three times? What does Peter say in essence? I really don't know him. I don't follow him. I'm not with him. I don't stand with him. I mean, it was a denial. And that's the same kind of denial that it's talking about for us. It's as if, really, you and I, if, if you were to stand in front of a mirror and, and, and say to that person whom you see in the mirror, you know, I don't follow you. You're not the one I truly, ultimately believe in. I'm not ultimately standing with you. I'm standing with someone else who indeed is my master. That's what it means to deny yourself. Now, the second command is uniquely Christian. Take up your cross and follow me. Keep in mind that the people who heard Jesus say that knew how ghastly crucifixion was, how horrific it was, how agonizing a way it was to die. So when he's saying, take up your cross and follow me, somebody who was carrying their cross was going where? To execution. That had to be a shock to the system of that crowd. And yet, lo and behold, they don't even realize that soon he's going to carry this out himself in a physical way. Not just in a metaphorical or spiritual way, but in a physical way. So you and I are called to take up our crosses. Now, am I talking solely about martyrdom? Of course not. Though, as many of you know, there were more Christian martyrs. People martyred for their faith in the 20th century than all centuries combined prior to that. We are on track even now for it to increase for the 21st century. So we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ out there who are going to suffer and die for what they believe. Will that come all the way to where we are? Perhaps, perhaps not. But it could, and, and it's happening on a daily basis. 
But nevertheless, even though we might not become martyrs, we are really needing to sentence and execute our own wills. Put those to death. Your own sense of self-importance. Put to death your own agenda. If I were to ask you what is the one thing in your life that you have, in a sense, difficulty killing, <laughs> crushing, you know, getting rid of, in a sense, where you can walk all the more with Christ as your rabbi, what is it? Could it be money, material things? Could it be image-based things? Could it be some form of bitterness or fear or a relational matter? I don't know. You know the answer to that. But nevertheless, what is it that you need to sentence to death? That you may die to self and walk in more fullness with him. I hope you'll consider that throughout this year. Now, let me go on and give you the spoiler alert. Are you going to fail at points? The answer to that is yes. But we have to be at points of brokenness and really being willing to die to self. I really think in the gospel story you don't see a follower of Christ who gets to a point of spiritual death and brokenness until you get to, once again, Peter. You remember, after he denies Jesus three times, he goes away, and what does he do, remember? He weeps bitterly. But I'm convinced that in that baptism of, of tears that, that some seeds were planted, and that out of that brokenness he became this fearless, fearless follower. But Peter had to carry out his own crucifixion. I like the way A.W. Tozer put it. He said, to be crucified means, first, the man on the cross is facing only one direction, Second, he is not going back. And third, he has no further plans of his own. <laughs> Let me say that again. To be crucified means first the man on the cross is facing only one direction. That's death. Death to self, at least. Second, he's not going back. And third, he has no further plans of his own. Could you even take your plans and your agenda and let those die off? That you can die toward him. Now, Peter learned what it meant to be restored ultimately and to crucify his own will. He was martyred ultimately, as you know. I do love how he experienced that grace in a profound way. At the very end of the Gospel of Mark, the women come to the empty tomb. And you remember what the angel says. Um, they say, go and tell his disciples and Peter. And I love that. He's saying, Peter, I know you feel like you've messed up. But look, grace abounds for you as well. And out of that, Peter becomes an incredible follower. And then I love the words that follow that. He is going ahead of you, and there will you will see him just as he told you. He wanted Peter to know that, and he wanted us to know that. You know, he wants us to accept his grace and feed on that and be self-feeding disciples. Because that grace and that knowledge of him is always there for you. 2 Peter 3.18 says what? Grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's one way we can do this based on what we're talking about right here, by the way? I think it's wonderful to spend a little more time in prayer this year or to look at the GPS that we'll be sending out at the beginning of each week, the getting prepped for Sunday. Or you might want to learn more about meditation or you might want to learn more scripture memorization. You might want to pray with someone. You might want to get an equipping group, getting in a small group, whatever it might be. There's one thing I found that Eugene Peterson does on a regular basis. Does anybody know who I'm talking about when I talk about Eugene Peterson? Anybody heard of the message paraphrase of the Bible? Peterson's just a wonderful pastor and, and theologian and, yes, biblical translator or paraphrase, pra paraphraser, I guess you could say. But he takes this last passage that I mentioned just a moment ago, and he said, I learned something new, and this is what I do as a daily spiritual discipline. He said, in Mark 16, after the angel says to them, he has risen, he is going before you, there you will see him as he told you. And for them, it was Galilee. You'll see him when you get there. 
But Peterson realized this, and listen to this. He said, in every visit, every meeting I attend, every appointment I keep, I have been anticipated. The risen Christ got there ahead of me. The risen Christ is in that room already. So I need to ask, what is he doing? What is he saying? What does he want me to do? What's going on here? Peter Peterson goes on to say, when I arrive and enter the room, I am alert to the fact that Jesus is there. His grace is there, and I'm more attuned to what the risen Christ has been doing or saying. And so he began quoting that to himself, you know, that, that he has gone ahead of me. I'm getting ready to go to the office, and he's gone ahead of me, and he will be there and see me. Well, we could do the same, couldn't we? Uh, you know, when we leave this place, we could say he's going before me to Overton Road, and there I will see him just as he told us. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to Tzatziki's, and he is risen, and he is going to be there when you get there. It's basically what we're saying. Tomb is empty, and he's waiting for you when you get to your next stop. So he would quote that. He's going ahead of me, and there I will see him just as he told me. And I'm going to try to do that myself, thinking, you know, as I leave this place, I will think to myself, he is going ahead of me, and I will see him there just as he told me. I think maybe that will help me have my spiritual antenna up all the more and discern what is it he wants me to do and say and how do I need to care for this person whom I see, this task that I have at my desk, this person I'm teaching, whatever it might be. So that's one discipline among many we could do. Now, let me just say, would it be fair to say that this one who is our rabbi is worth following and that he is worth our time and that he is worth our feeding upon? My hope and prayer is that not just on Sundays, folks, but each and every day, we become all the more self-feeding disciples. Why do we do that? Well, for one thing, that we might glorify God. Let me just go on and tell you. If you get up in the morning or in the evening or whenever you have a devotional time, is it just going to be a, a wow factor every time? Is it going to be just this epiphany experience every time? Absolutely not. But I would encourage you to do it anyway as a discipline. But you know what? You are glorifying God as you do that. And spending time with him. Every moment that you have with a dear personal friend is not an epiphany either. But you're spending that quality time. I hope and pray that you will do that all the more this year. Don't just depend on this church, this church staff, Sunday school teachers, whatever it might be. Depend on yourself to grow all the more. Our ministerial staff is committed this year to resourcing. If you, if you come uh, to one of us and say, I really would like to do a Bible study just for myself on Job, but, but it makes Job easy because I know that's heavy stuff. Or I want to learn more about what the cross of Jesus means. Or I want to know what it means to really follow the Holy Spirit. Whatever it might be, let us resource you. Help us. Let us help you find what you need. I hope and pray that this year we will become all the more self-feeding disciples because in doing so we can help find our first love and follow that first love each and every day. Let's pray together. We're about to sing, I surrender all. <laughs> My goodness, have we done that? Or, or have we surrendered 10%, 50%, maybe higher? But are you willing to surrender all? That you might live by that costly grace that carries us all the way to the cross. No, we might not be literally nailed to a cross ourselves. We might not even be executed in some fashion. But nevertheless, we need to put to death those things in ourselves that are keeping us from walking with Christ as we should. So, Lord, in some ways, yes, indeed, we confess this will be a challenging year. And yet, 
all the more we can meet this challenge in small steps each and every day, whether morning, noon, evening. Lord, help us to take a little more time out each day to spend with you. Focus a little more on you each day. Maybe adopt some discipline for whatever amount of time and learn a little bit more about you, whether it's scripture memory or fasting or praying or meditating or having a devotion time, whatever it might be. Oh God, motivate us to do that, that we might all the more be your disciples and glorify you each and every day in an intentional fashion. Help us, as Peter said, to grow in grace and knowledge of you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and, and I would ask that even now you would be praying for those sitting around you who might feel led to make some kind of decision today, whether it be to join this church or to be baptized, as Gabby was this morning, uh, someone who needs simply to pray, uh, someone who, who feels led to be baptized, as we witnessed one today. If you feel led to make that public, we ask that you do that today, but but... Before we do that, let's take just a moment in meditation. And, and this is a moment just between you and God and nobody else. And take a moment just to confess to God saying, this is the most difficult thing in my life that keeps me from following you more fully. This is what keeps me from following you more closely. This is what keeps me from gathering more dust upon myself as I follow you, my beloved rabbi. What is it in your life right now that's keeping you from following Christ as you should? It could be some sin with which you're struggling. Well, you can just confess that to God and get that straightened out with God. Or it could be a fear, an anxiety, something relational, some uncertainty that's going on in your life right now. Whatever it might be, confess that silently to God now. O oh God, may your spirit touch those who especially need to know that you are there, that you love them so much, that your grace abounds and that is there for the receiving, that you are always making the first move in our direction, that the grace of Jesus Christ is really what offers us so much, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Be with us now, O oh God, that we might truly from our hearts surrender at least a bit more of ourselves that we might follow you, beloved rabbi, more closely. We pray these things in your name.